Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Not Your African Cliché. Before we get into today's episode, though, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, where we are Not Your African Cliché, as well as SoundCloud, where we are NYAC Podcast. Don't forget to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, we are Not Your African Cliché, Twitter, at NYAC Podcast, and Instagram, NYAC underscore podcast. You can also email us at notyourafricancliche at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the rest of the of the season um our topic today is african creatives and hopefully we have a great episode for you guys we have three amazing guests we'll all introduce ourselves um in a few seconds um or now yeah hi everyone this is amayo okay hi everyone this is ifeyua hey everyone this is onyeka aka yekao hi this is chimsong Hey, what's up, guys? This is Adriel. Hi, everyone. This is Nana Spielgarber. Nice, nice. Thank you, guys. Okay, so our topic today is African creatives, and we're just going to jump into the questions. So the first question is, what do you do? Describe your art or your business. Um, and then this also goes into, like, you know, what is your inspiration? What pushed you to jump into this field or into your art? And do you find inspiration in your environment, your country, your continent? But first of all, yes, what do you do? You know, what's your background? Okay, so my name is Chimsum Aka. Um, I started a shoe brand in Lagos, Nigeria. Whoa, Chimsum, was that you? Yes, sir. (laughs) Yeah, um, so I started a shoe brand and um, the motivation behind starting was my feet. I have very peculiar feet. My feet are long, but narrow. So um, firstly, it's very difficult for me to find shoes that are my size in terms of length. And then when I eventually do, because my, my my length is a size, okay, this is being broadcast in the US, so I'm a size 10, 11. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the width of my feet is about a size 7. So when I do find a 10, 11, which is almost impossible, it's eventually too wide for me. So um, moving back to Nigeria and um, being faced with this problem, I decided to you know learn how to make shoes. And from there, I started my own business. So when I started, I wanted to focus on people like me who have you know peculiar feet. And then I started getting a lot of um, demand from people with regular feet. So I've expanded my... Um, the scope of my market to include both regular and quote-unquote irregular. Question, Chimsum, when did you start this business? Um, I started officially a year ago. So actually, I'm one now. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the 19th of February, that's the date, yes. But unofficially, because there's always a lot of, you know, background hustling behind everything. So... Unofficially, it's been three years. Officially, one year. 
And um, the question, do you find inspiration in your environment, country, or continent? Um, so, I guess if I were... <laughs> I guess if I were still in the UK, um, I I don't think I would have had that push to start this because, yes, it's difficult to find my size over there, but it's not impossible. Whereas moving back here, it was literally impossible for me to find my size. So me starting this business was out of a serious, serious need that I could not fulfill otherwise. Do I find inspiration in my... Um, so in my country, I do like African culture a whole lot. As a matter of fact, I used to do um, African dance, especially when I was in the UK. So I like to imbibe aspects of the African culture into my product. Um, I use Ashoke, I use Ankara. And when I say African, I don't just mean, you know, my country here in Nigeria. I mean, literally the whole of Africa. So I was in Kenya and Tanzania last year. And I got some Maasai beads and I've incorporated that into my footwear as well. I have beads from Kenya, uh, sorry, from Ghana, from Cameroon as well. So, yes, I do like to showcase and promote the African culture in my work. And then even because not every pair of slippers is going to need accessories. So even when I'm just doing something plain, I go ahead and give it an African name as well. So I use African names as my product codes. Nice. That's awesome. Um, Chimsum, I don't know if you said this already, but what's the name of your business? I didn't say it actually. (laughs) 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 This has been the first thing. Um, The name of my business is Insata, N-S-A-A-T-A. And no, it's not an African meaning for something. It's actually (laughs) an acronym that means um, new shoes are always the answer. Oh. Yeah, but then I put I put all those accents in it to make to, to deceive people into thinking that it's an African name, but it's not. But I love the African sound of it, to be honest. Yeah, that's so creative. Who okay, wants to go next? I can go next. So, um, I am an interior stylist. Um, my company is called Blueprint Africa, and it uh, began out of me moving back to the continent. I actually left Washington, D.C. in 2010 for Tunisia in North Africa um, and lived there for five years. And when I moved there, I, you know, went through the usual rigmarole of trying to decorate my house, but felt that um, being back on the continent, I wanted to really have it reflect my surroundings. And so I would spend hours and hours in souks and going to visit um, all the artisans that were available there and searching the web to get inspiration for um, how I wanted my space to look. And I found, you know, as we all know, when we Google anything African decor, African, well, specifically African decor, there's a certain um, safari-like zebra rug vibe that always comes up. Yeah. So that was really disappointing to me. So I actually launched a Tumblr to um, bring together all the inspiration and images that I found that were not um, reflecting that kind of stereotypical um, design aesthetic. 
And that grew and grew and grew and people started asking me to source for them. So the first leg of the business came um, from me sourcing pieces for retailers that were outside of the continent that didn't want to have to come um, all the way to to Africa to source their goods. Um, and then it evolved into styling residences and people's homes. And in December 2015, New Year's Eve, I took the plunge. Well, I shouldn't say New Year's Eve, but I took the plunge in 2015 to officially register it as a business and got the uh, registration on New Year's Eve. So uh, December 2016 was one year for me as well. Oh, yay. All right. It's Adriel already. That's actually really cool. Um, Hi, uh, my name is Adriel. I am a rapper slash singer slash a few other small things. I just like writing in general. I like words. They're fun. Um, I, can, I don't know. I guess my first inspiration was my mom, sort of, in a weird way. Um, she was a teacher at Grange, and uh, she taught me how to write poetry. Like, she did this whole thing where she, she came back one day from, from work, and then I was sitting down upstairs in her room, so she just kind of, like, you know, she was doing her work. She was marking other people's poems. But then she just figured, oh, you know, I'll take this chance to educate the stupid little knucklehead. So, and so she um, she calls me and then she teaches me how to write. And so she teaches me like this thing, this whole thing called an acrostic poem. And that's like the first form of poetry I ever learned. So naturally, I use it in every situation I can find. And I started trying to pick up girls with poetry. <laughs> but... It, it, it works half the time. It has a very solid 50-50 chance, which is <laughs> obvious as fuck. But yeah, um, I, I don't know. I guess that's how long ago I started. That's when I started. I, I say I'd put it that way. Um, that's probably when I was like 11-ish, just before I got into secondary school, sort of. Then, But the actual like rap part, the, the idea started coming in like JS2 uh, with a friend. And he uh, he sort of like, you know, put the idea in my head and kind of you know, show me the rope sort of. So I actually started doing it like, you know, around that time. And then I actually started taking it seriously once I left like the country, once I went to school outside. So um, I've been writing for a good time, just general small bits here and there, but then um i just i i just really like words and i just feel like it's so funny because I, I was thinking about a lot of this stuff like a little while ago and it's funny how like 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 words like language in a way is like a code you know it's like it's like you're coding your emotions into something to try and like transmit to somebody else to, to pick up it's it's it's, it's such a dope thought yeah, I know it's 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 deep, like it's mad deep, but like it's such a dope thought because there's a point to think that there's a point in time that we didn't actually have language, but we still found a way to communicate, and that was probably way more imperfect and caused way more confusion than actually being able to like put things into words. So it's just it's just a cool thing I figure at the end of the day. I don't really have like a a, a thing per se, like a direction with my stuff. I just like to write stories whatever comes to mind. And uh, I guess that kind of ties into the next slash last question, which is, do I find inspiration in my environment? 
and my country. And I'd say, like, it, I had to learn that, I think. Because, like, when I actually started taking it seriously, I wasn't in my country. Yeah. So, like, you know, everything I was writing was based off of stuff that I experienced there. But it was mainly, like, the emotions as opposed to, like, the settings. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? But, like, yeah. oh, uh, I went to school in Costa Rica for for a while. So, like, that was just before I, w- I went to the States. But then it was while I was in Costa Rica that I started the whole process of, like, actually, like, putting pen to paper and, like, formulating stories and stuff like that. So, like, by the time I actually went to the States, all the all the locations and stuff I was drawing on were either, like, from memory of places from home, which were, mm-hmm. like, harder to pull on seeing as like they were kind of vague at this point slightly which was weird but then like there were things that were more concrete but like the moment i moved back it was a very like huge awakening because the things that you're seeing like in a very very different light it's like you don't realize how much time you spent away from that thing in direct contact and maybe while you were there maybe like for whatever reason say your age or something i don't know the, the the attention to detail that mm. you developed with time, especially for the sake of like putting it on paper so somebody else can actually live the experience. That attention to detail wasn't as what what didn't didn't come as strong before you left, but once you come back with like that amount of knowledge of like what it is you're trying to do, all of a sudden everything just seems that much more interesting. Like. The smallest, the smallest things can provide so much more insight. And in this mm-hmm. 21st century that we all live in, it's very easy to find like connections between those things and things from outside. So it's like as a writer, all of a sudden you find so many different like unique connections to things that maybe typically, maybe like 10 years ago would have been harder to do or maybe you just were not as awake or as woke whatever but like it's 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 always it's always a very unique thing to be able to draw inspiration from somewhere you're from there's something very grounded in that and in a lot of ways that kind of informs Mart as well so yeah Nice. Wait, Idril, I was going yeah, to put yeah. you on the spot, you know, to spit a few bars. Well, I mean, I decided to just have to see on YouTube. I'm down with that. Why? I'm, I'm, I'm ready as always. Oh. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, sir. It was. It was. Let's move to the next question because I find this one very interesting i really i can't wait to hear you guys answers so what are the significant challenges that you face um regularly by just by living in your country or in africa so doing business here or you know sourcing inspiration or you know practicing your arts you know thinking of ideas like what are the significant challenges that you face regularly i think well let me let me start with that one actually since i've seen as i'm probably like the most recently affected by whatever that was. I disappeared from the call a couple of minutes ago for one reason, because, you know, lights. And yeah, I think that's one of them things. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's, it's something you just, it, it affects small things in, in, in very, like, major ways. Hmm. You know? Like, you want to say, the, the kind of stuff that I deal with, I'm sending 
large size files across the internet, like frequently. What happens when you don't have access to internet? You know, for a lot of people, like it's, it's, it definitely is. And that's just, that's how it affects me. Now talk about like, say somebody who's starting a small business of sorts and they have a business, like a, a model that would depend on, obviously it has to depend on like constant communication with like their buyers and, you know, the, the people who they're sourcing materials from and the customers in the, in the end, if you don't have electricity to be able to like run things, run things properly, you know, I mean, the, the internet thing is like, it's just, it's, it's the, it's the next, it's the, it's the byproduct, I guess. It's like you have the light, the electricity situation, and then all of a sudden you cannot connect to anybody else outside. And uh-huh. that's how it works with, that's how it works on, with somebody who is, you know, relatively in a better situation than somebody who is operating the entire thing from like a mobile phone, from like mm-hmm. a smaller situation. Like if they can't charge the phone up, and be able to get like their get their word out to their customers or whatever. Like, what are you doing? You know, you have an entire economy that's depending on just being able to make a phone call, and somebody can't go through something like that because of something as simple as charging the battery. Like, this is something that I experienced like a couple. Of, I met somebody who's experiencing this like a couple of days ago. Like the phone battery thing. Like he had to come. He was he had to come across from. I'm not sure where it was. But he had to come down to wherever my office was to try and like get his phone to charge because mm. the building that he was at, they hadn't had light for the past like three weeks. And mm. this was part of this is this is this is like twenty seventeen, like this year. I think for me I have a different perspective. This is Nana. I mean, I'm based in Abidjan now and even when I was based in Tunis, like utilities luckily for me were not really the challenge because both of those countries have very stable um power supply thank god but my biggest issue especially when dealing with furniture um which is very bulky and you know breakable and things like that was logistics logistics was or is i should say a nightmare um trying to ship anything out of any country in Africa, just to the neighboring country, either you're going to bribe your way through it, which is as a business is not, um, you know, even putting ethics aside, it's not a viable option because that can change at any time. The person that you've had a relationship with could decide he's moving to another department. They have to start all over or, I mean, even taking the moral element out of bribery putting it that aside, it's just not something that is consistent enough for you to even know how to plan for. And the port system is like a tragic mess. And even um, even like in-country delivery systems are just not there, like outside of DHL. So DHL like corners the entire market um, and their prices are ridiculous. So even to mail a cushion or, you know, like soft furnishings is a problem, not to mention like huge items. You have to get them out in shipping containers and not everybody, um, you know, like there was a time that I wanted to bring in Yoruba chairs from Nigeria and that was, it gave me nightmares. I mean, just, just to have the certificates, 
needed from the Ministry of Culture and whatever and whatever was just a nightmare. So logistics and I think government like handling of taxes and customs and port systems and what they consider to be artifacts and art versus something that the guy on the corner just carved yesterday is is always a problem for me in my in my industry at least. Yeah, wow. How about you, Chimso? Um, I experienced, um, you know, what Adrian was saying 100%. Um, bits of what Nana said Real. as well. Um, and to add to that, I've had a serious problem um, having access to raw materials at mm. a reasonable price and at the desired quantity. And also just the attitude of artisans yes and, um, oh my god it's it's not just because i i, I <laughs> used to think it was a nigerian problem but then like no. i said i went to kenya and tried to get these beads done and i realized this might actually just be an african problem <laughs> i mean I'll, I'll i'll give you an example right so i was in kenya for business for a limited time so i needed to get everything i need i needed to get done ASAP because every day I was spending money, hotel mm. bills, food, transportation, everything. So the earlier I got my act together, the better for me. Mm. Um, so the very first day I landed in Kenya, I just went straight to the hotel, dropped my bag, same taxi, went to the market where these um, ladies were to that, um, that, that make the Maasai beat patterns. So I went there had a long chat with them, discussed the designs I wanted. We agreed on the price. We agreed on the day that it would be ready. Um, so between the day I, um, I, I went there and the day it would be ready, I kept on communicating with them. I'm like, okay, so how far, guys? How are we doing? Is it going to be ready on so-and-so date? They're like, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> We're pushing forward. It's fine. Even on that day, before I left the hotel to go meet them, I'm like, look, guys, I'm on my way what's going on they're like hey yeah that's all good it's all good come over and then i went there and believe it or not they had not mm. even started oh my god like nigerian taylor problem they I had can't. not started and then what even pissed me off even more was their attitude <laughs> they were laughing mm. yeah I mean, they yeah. would, they, they would, they would they speak Swahili to themselves and then laugh and then speak again and then laugh. And I'm just there looking like so confused. I'm like, why is my stuff not ready at this agreed date when I told you I'd be coming now? So mm -hmm. I think they were even laughing at the fact that I was so worked up about it. <laughs> did they, did they call <laughs> you a foreigner? So Here they call you know, me a foreigner so when I get upset about stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea what they were saying because I don't speak Swahili, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they were saying. And then, you know, the Nigerian ones as well, uh, you know, just as, just as bad. So getting reliable artisans is a big problem and I'm trying to grow and scale my business. I can't do everything myself. So I need reliable staff. So that has been a big issue. Uh, moving on to materials. We actually are one of the biggest producers of leather in the world. Um, I don't know if Nigeria? many people know this. Yeah, like we actually um export leather that's being used by almost all the 
big label designers, Louis Vuitton, Tommy Hilfiger, they actually use Nigerian leather. Yeah, but what happens is that just like crude oil, we export it in its not-so-finished state and mm. then mm. take it abroad, process it, and then we import that back into the country. Yeah, so whenever there's a fluctuation in the exchange rate, it affects not just the price, but also the availability. So hmm. my issue, and I'm guessing the issue of everyone that deals in leather, is having access to the quality of leather in the quantity they want at a reasonable price. I mean, just yesterday, I spent so many hours in the market. I spent so much money. And hmm. honestly, the amount of leather I bought, I could hold everything in one hand. <laughs> what I used to buy for, let's say, 250 naira per square foot is now 500 naira for an for hmm. an even smaller square foot because they use like a uh they they cut out a square foot that they use it to measure and what they've done is that they've been crafty and mm. then made that cut out a bit smaller mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, i'm paying double the price for mm. even less so I feel that that's something that I don't know whoever's listening out there. If you want to go into the leather tanning industry, please do. <laughs> I'd appreciate that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's I mean, like if I were somewhere else, like if I were in Italy, for instance, where there are all these um established companies that deal only in processing leather, it'd been a lot easier for me. I just place my order and in how many days or whatever, I'd have that shipped down to me, my factory. So yeah. I guess these are some problems of doing business in Africa. Um, Yuka, oh, over here, and I have this a quick question because both um, you and Anna talked about this idea of being a foreigner in another African country. Why do you feel like we keep on having this issue of one people not taking your like just taking your time for granted um and two feeling like they can additionally take your time for granted because you're not from where they're from um hmm. i think firstly people in general even you know towards their own kind so to speak would try to take advantage because that's just human nature, you know? So regardless of where you come from, you know, they will definitely try to take advantage. That's one. Um, Two, being from the same place as somebody, I feel automatically endears you towards that person. So they're more likely to do favors for you. Like, um, I speak Igbo very not 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 too well <laughs> so i go to the market and almost everybody there you know is an evil person because i trust my people now we are hustlers <laughs> so <laughs> i go there because my evil is not too good you know i say what i want in english we agree on it when it comes to discussing the price i immediately change all english mm. drops i'm like nah <laughs> ego ne you know <laughs> So, mm. so then I'm like, oh, Ima Suibo, that means that you know how to speak it. But I'm like, yes, now I'm one of you. <laughs> then, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, at least I, I, I get a little bit of discount in the price. So 
I feel that human beings in generally will try to take advantage. And when they see that you're not one of them, you don't speak their language, it means that they can even take mm-hmm. a bigger advantage of you. I mean, taxi drivers do that all the time. They come and mm-hmm. get you from the airport and they, and they start asking you questions like, oh, you know, where are you coming from? Where do you live? And they, 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 they now impute that you're not from here. They probably don't know your way around. And so they mm-hmm. probably take a longer route and charge you more because you don't know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I... I mean, I agree with everything that was just said, but also I think it's a question of, I mean, I agree mainly that it's not even the fact that you're a foreigner in another African country. I feel that in my case, anytime I'm very um, particular about standards and being professional, I'm mm-hmm. always, it's always, oh, okay, you must not be like this is how we do it here you must not be from yeah. here or yeah. you're a white person or mm-hmm. you know you're obroni as we say in in Ghana mm. because i'm just like i want you to when you give me the i mean i'm asking you when you can deliver the thing it's not like i came to you and said mm-hmm. i want it on march 27th mm-hmm. i'm asking right. you when can you get this done for me you have the entire mm-hmm. year you can say december 31st <laughs> So the minute that you put your, the minute that you put your own mouth out there and say that I'm going to give you this thing on whatever date, when I show up, I expect that to be done. And I don't think that right. that is, that is like something egregious to ask of a, of a soi-disant or a so-called professional. Like mm-hmm. the, the price that you're quoting me is a professional price. You're quoting me in a very expensive price. You're not quoting me the price of me taking a taxi to your far out location 17 times because you're not done. So Mm. you're giving me a professional price. So I expect professionalism. And what I really hate with a lot of artisans and in my case, a lot of vendors, because I do um, interior, you know, renovations and things like that. I have to hire carpenters and, you know, um, people who put, who lay tile and all these guys, it's a constant fight, especially as a woman, because that's another dynamic. Yeah. Like when you're yeah. a woman doing work, especially like in construction, and I'm, and I'm sure, um, with, with the, when you're in your factory, for example, when you're trying to deal with men and telling them you need to like step it up, they're immediately like, why don't you go cook me my lunch? Like, oh why are you? God. Mm. why are you even yelling at me like i'll get it done when i get it done and i just can't deal with that so i'm constantly i'm like the crazy lady like i'm constantly shouting i'm like (laughs) you need to get this stuff on time because it's your reputation you have clients i have clients so when Mm -hmm. you didn't come and finish the closet or you didn't do it properly and we have to rip it out and do it again that's my money Mm. that's my reputation that you're messing with and i can i just Mm. i will go crazy over my reputation like don't do that i did detail everything she said (laughs) snaps all around all right let's see okay let's go to the next question i guess this this can be a quick one so did you ever feel any sort of like disapproval or resistance from family or friends um, when you first started off with your art or your business? Because mm-hmm. I think the reason why we put this question, right, was, I mean, I feel like, you know, many African parents in general are very, you know. We were all supposed to be doctors, engineers, and lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Let it out, Nana. Let it out. 
<laughs> when you say, oh, I want to be a rapper or, oh, I want to, you know, start my own interior decoration business or interior design business or I want to start making shoes, you're like, huh, okay, so how about your nine to five? Are you going to keep that? Or, you know, so like, so yeah, any disapproval, discouragement? You, um, I, I kind of just, I kind of did mine like under the radar, sort of. I just like didn't, I didn't talk about it to anybody. Like I just... Well, if you knew, you knew, you know, if you saw me writing, you knew what I was doing. But like, otherwise, until like I actually started putting stuff out and then my sister got wind of it. And I think she might have been playing it like close to them or something. And then they recognized the voice. <laughs> and that's where and that's where it's like, OK, so what's good? <laughs> like, <laughs> but like it was a good conversation. I mean, it wasn't it, that, you know, the funny thing you discover eventually, I think. I feel at least that at the end of the day, what they really want is whatever it is that you're doing, like you take it seriously. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's usually what I think. I think the thing is, and you don't really realize cause you, you might, at least not for me, at least I, I thought, okay, you know, this is something like for sure they're not going to be on board with like impossible. But then they, they listen to your stuff and it might not be like, whatever it is, it might not be all the stuff that they agree with or whatever, but it's like, they see, they see what it does to you. Like they see you're alive when you're doing that thing. And they see that what you're doing is actually like, like they see the reaction is getting from everybody else. And they see what the, what the differences it can make in somebody else's life. And, you know, after a while, it just becomes a case of, if you're serious about it, we're, we're behind you. Like, you know, and it's always, it's a very, very comforting feeling to have that kind of support. You know, not, not a lot of people can say they have that. So, yeah. That's, that's great. This is Ifeo and, you know, like our, our queen Chimamanda said, <laughs> is that, she said, you know, the thing about stereotypes is that it's not that they're not true, it's that they're incomplete. Yeah. And there is, sure. there is this stereotype. Um, that is, you know, it's not necessarily false, but that African parents are not supportive of, and not just parents, but societies in general are not supportive of the arts. Um, and so it's great that your family and parents are, are supportive, but I've also found that there are a lot of people who aren't supportive, but they become supportive when you're successful so even if you're serious about it you know you're sweating they see you come alive like literally your eyes light up it don't matter to them (laughs) you know but once once the ego starts to flow in and you start getting recognition then it's like oh aha that's my (laughs) child before you were your father's child or your mother's child and then once you start getting <laughs> successful and they now see that, you know, maybe their friends, kids, they're talking about you, their friends are like, oh, I heard your son on the radio. They're like, mm-hmm, that's my son. It's my <laughs> son, my <laughs> first son. So, <laughs> and it's, at the same time, it's like sometimes I don't really want to knock them down or give them, because there is that, like, I do photography on the side and... Like Adriana was saying, like when I first started out, my momsy didn't know that I was, you know, messing around with photography. Um, and it wasn't until later that I shot a wedding or two, and she's like, Mm-mm, "My daughter, there, are these people that are getting married in Houston, maybe, maybe you can talk to them and you can shoot their wedding." I was like, "Oh, 
oh, this is a thing that you're acknowledging. So, um, but it's something that I definitely started on the side. And I mean, I haven't, I didn't really talk about it to family because I just didn't need that negativity. Mm. Um, <laughs> I just honestly, sometimes you just have to pick and choose your battles. Yeah. Um, but it's true that, yeah. But I just wanted to put that out there that there is that stereotype, but there are some exceptions and, um, yeah. But Nana and Ch- Chimsum, do you guys have stuff to add? Um, yeah, I mean, like, what both of you said, uh, completely correct and I agree with. Um, in my case, um, my, my, my parents, I would say, have been supportive. My whole family has been supportive, but... I would say that the level of support, like um, Adria added, is uh, changed when they mm. saw how well I was doing and also how passionate I was about it. So in the beginning, it was like, oh yeah, you know, you're doing this, okay, continue, well done, carry on. <laughs> your nice little hobby. <laughs> but then after they started seeing, you know, how much progress I was making, how well I was mm-hmm. doing, and because I do something tangible as well, I make shoes. Mm-hmm. So when they see the quality of the shoes, they're like, "Wow, wow, mm-hmm. wow! Don't miss this. Is you know, oh. <laughs> you don't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finished." <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, easy for them to you know push. I mean, whenever they have any guests come over, they're like, "Ah, my daughter is doing show." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't you look so you can buy? You know, that's your biggest hype oh, man in the end. Yeah. <laughs> On the one hand, you know, as as much as they're so supportive of this business, they're still, you know, your stereotypical or conventional parents that believe strongly in the nine to five. So mm. even though the business is doing so well, I just won a huge grant and I now have a lot of money to invest into the business and grow it even further. They're still like, eh, but you still need a job. You still need to have mm. that, you know, nine mm. to five. We are a professional, a lawyer. Be a lawyer. Mm. You can always mm. do this shit. <laughs> but I'm, I'm explaining to them that, look, like I'm trying to be the next batter of Africa. I'm not trying mm. to be this small, you know, small shoemaker on the side of the road. Mm. Um, they're like that. No, just have the job. You can keep doing the business on the side. So, I mean, there's still, I, I, I see the point in what you're trying to say. My dad is like, oh, how many shoes are you going to sell before you make one million? Wow. <laughs> yeah, they always have these lofty goals, right? It's like you just wow. registered your business and they're like, okay, so when are you going to make like, hundred thousand and i'm like <laughs> you know? i just registered yesterday they're making a lot of sense because at, at the end of the day they're my parents they love me they're looking out for my welfare and everything but mm. you know it's i don't know it is what it is i guess mm. <laughs> they're supportive but you know there's a comma <laughs> right there's a comma <laughs> over here (laughs) i remember when i was like you know ready to go to college or whatever trying to figure out you know what my major was and you know sometimes you'd be forgetting that you're even with nigerian parents Um, so like you have these books you know all the major possible majors and you're like you know what like i can excel in this so i was like you know what i'm going to be a vocal performance major Hmm. um so i had decided this (laughs) From that I can just book. imagine how that went down. Grammar. Oh, <laughs> Lord. So I got home. 
Um, and I tell my mom, I'm like, so I think that I do want to be a vocal performance major. And she's like, okay, okay. Now my mom, I don't want to say she's the more supportive one of both of my parents, but... But she is. But she is. Um, so, so she just goes, hmm, well, we'll just wait for your dad to come back and then we'll, we'll tell him. Mm, we'll tell him. I was like, yeah, so I'm so confident, y'all, because she didn't shut me down. So I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, one parent down, I could do this. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, so then my dad ages. comes home and I'm like, dear, dear sir, to whom it may concern, um, I'm <laughs> going to be a vocal performance major. Y'all, my dad is as evil as it come. He said, he said what? <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm going to be a vocal performance major. He said, I'm not spending any money on you to be a singer. So, <laughs> so wow. I'm like, dang, okay, that's cool. So anyways, uh, lo and behold, I'm definitely, I wasn't a vocal performance major. Um, you know, got my BS in biology, shout out. And then, um, so now I'm in grad school, right? But when I go back home and people are like, hey, you know, can you sing at my wedding? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I could totally do that. And my dad is like, hey, I'll drop you. It's okay, no problem. So he's like, now... Now that, you know, I have the degree and I'm in grad school and he's like, ah, she'll soon become mm. a doctor. He's like supporting, you know, the music class. He's like, I have a friend who said their child is getting married. Do you think maybe? I'm like, nah, mm. fam. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. Because if I was a vocal performance major, mm-hmm. sir, mm-hmm. I would have been making some cash. But okay. Um, but it's just, it's just so funny to me that I was emboldened um, mm. by the freedom I had to choose what my major was. And then I had the nerve to actually say it. But, you know, mm. we laugh about it today. <laughs> I like I like how, um, you know, our parents are kind of the same, supportive, but, you know, <laughs> with that comma. And then I also love how you came out, like, you know, vocal performance major is like, singer. <laughs> yeah. He called you out on your PS. Yeah. Like, you mean singer. <laughs> and, you know, the funny no. thing is, after like I graduated with my biology degree, he was like, "You're going to be a teacher." It's just like all these things. I'm like, "Can you just let me be?" <laughs> let so me now flourish. I'm in grad school, and he's like, "Oh, like you actually will be called a doctor now?" I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah," and he's like, Whoa. "Oh, okay, okay." I'm like, "This is just wrong on every level," but I love you all the same. Do you? <laughs> just do. Now, do you have anything to add or? No, I mean. My experience was the same. I mean, my uh, family was like uber supportive in a non-monetary sense. So my <laughs> my um my mom actually came with me to one. register my company when I was um, struggling to get all the documentation. My brother actually worked for me. Um, doing business development for a couple of months and was helping me advise. My other brother's helping me with my website. So they've all been supportive. But, you know, I want that, like, Dan Gote's uncle support. Mm. Like, where you come and you're like, Nana, I really believe in your business. Here's $10,000. Pay me back when you, you know, (laughs) when you can make it. (laughs) When you do. (laughs) That would be great. But the non-monetary support, yes, it's there. Shout out to my family. Love y'all. But. Mm. 
Where the I money need at? That though. Cash, yeah. <laughs> Some cash will not be so bad. <laughs> I need a sponsor. It wouldn't hurt. Oh. Oh my god! <laughs> no, because getting financing is really—it's—it's it's really hard for entrepreneurs, mm. like yeah—and mm-hmm. not having that, you know, initial cash flow—it's—it's it's difficult. I mean, a shout out to uh, Art for getting that grant because otherwise, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. This is the thing, and actually, no, friend, she's not. Um, African, but we went to college in the same area and she's in film school now, but she needed a film to submit as part of her portfolio and her family ended up, you know, investing money into the film budget. And so she ended up making a film, but it's true. Like, you know, with any creative, um, career, there's like, I mean, at any business really, like, you know, you need that principal amount <laughs> to get things <laughs> started but hey Charlie it's not easy y'all like real question though do you remember and I don't know about you guys but at least for me growing up like you have those an- uncles and aunties that like when they come to visit they'll give you money just <laughs> yeah. like where are they now I miss because those days <laughs> see see I, I actually I, I saw this I think one. I'm not cute anymore because I'm grown no I saw <laughs> See the thing is they don't come by they don't come by like that anymore because your needs are different now. Like you don't need yeah. you don't need biscuit money, you know? Like you need like, right, fuel exactly. money and then or you need like you know what I'm saying? Like you need you need new laptop money, you know? Like there's you need you need things. just take this to M. Like, <laughs> Please where are they? Because I'd like to find them. To M. Hello. Okay. Lol, it's like now that you're grown, you know what the struggle is. Yeah, like now nah, you exactly. see me. Like <laughs> we are struggling together. At this point, they're expecting returns. Like true. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's true. Uh-huh. Adrian, you're doing more for yourself now. Uh, you know, when did you graduate again? <laughs> okay, so the next question is: Okay, who is your target audience? If you have one, and how do you best express yourself? Mm. It's like a very general question. Mm. 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 Anyone who would listen. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. Mine is a bit more precise because I, I want to put into focus African homeware brands and African interior designers African producers, African artisans, and I want other Africans to appreciate other mm. parts of the continent. So mm. a bit like, you know, you were saying that you take uh, beads from Kenya and, you know, mix them with Ashoke and things like that. Like, I want people on the continent to appreciate their own because when I started um, doing this, I was shipping things to Australia. I was th- shipping things to, you know, France. They're eating up our, you know, design aesthetic. They're loving mud cloth. They're, they want juju hats everywhere. They want, you know, all of these stereotypical um, artifacts, but mm-hmm. they're not, you know, they don't know about Yinka Ilori or it's now that they're understanding, you know, what he's doing. They don't know, um, you know, there's so many designers that are modern that are not necessarily doing the quote-unquote African 
whatever that mm. means, African right, look, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that also needs to be out there. And so for me, even though it turns out that a lot of my clients end up being foreigners, my target audience, who I really want to get excited about um, the type of services that I can bring are other Africans. Because we don't tend to like, we don't like our own stuff. Like I, I had a client come and ask me, you know, I gave him a mood board and he, he was like, oh, but you know, I don't want my house to look like a shrine. And I was like, Child, please. your house is not, you're not going to, your house is not going to look like a shrine just because I want to put African things in it. <laughs> you know, so we just have, um, we, we love like Italian furniture and we want to get Persian rugs and we want to get everything from somewhere else. Cause that's luxury to us. And that's what's nice. But if I'm like, okay, but let me bring you, you know, some luxurious, I said Dion, um, you know, I said Dion, uh, fabric and let's upholster this couch. They're going to be like, who's, who's I said Dion, you know? Meanwhile, she's applying for Hermes. Her, 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 um, fabrics and textiles are going to Hermes. So yeah, it's just always kind of. A struggle. So that's a long-winded answer to say that actually my target audience is other Africans. I'd say my mine sounded kind of vague when I say like anyone who would listen. It's like it, it, it's very. It sounds very general, but in a very interesting way. It's like my my whole thing is I I'm kind of I'm I'm focused way more on like what you're feeling as opposed to like where you're from generally. So it's like you, you, you put things into the music that would unabashedly like reflect the fact that you are like African and you are Nigerian in particular. Like there's some very, there's a very, there's a core Nigerianness through the attitude, through like certain references. But then the, the overall aim is like you, if you are in a place, especially like at the back of it, it's like, especially if you're a Nigerian and you have thoughts like these or you feel these way like these ways about different things it's okay to think these things and it's okay to like to have you need a space to be able to express these things i feel like a lot of times like growing up there are a lot of thoughts and like a lot of conversations that were generally not encouraged and that left like a huge vacuum when it came to like a space to comfortably explore these topics in a way that like was maybe like sarcastic or fun or maybe poked fun at it, but at the same time, like gave you an outlet to be able to just like talk about some of these things. I could stop pointing out like examples, but then I, I, you know, they're, I, they're, they're varied and can be very, very specific. And I'm not really sure how safe for work they are, but at the same time, like it's one of those things that's like you have, you 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 feel these things and it's not just it's not just nigerians it's anybody who is growing up in a in a place where your your looking your your outlook is for something bigger than you are but then you're starting from relatively like more comfortable and modest like means and more play, uh, you know that kind of thing it's a it's it's specific in that way and in that way at the same time it's very general because there are a lot of people who can subscribe, ascribe to that aesthetic in some form or the other. So yeah, whoever, whoever is human basically. And 
is looking to experience like a story journey. In summary, any human you know, will appreciate that. Any my human who is, who is exactly who's just looking for something different, I guess. Uh, Amaya, what was the question again? Um, who is your target audience? Hey, Ify, do you want to tell them who our target audience is? I don't think we've ever shared publicly. <laughs> if you see the way my head just skipped a beat, I was like, <laughs> did I start? Did we start a business? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Am I done with you or not? <laughs> I don't know. Um, wait, what are we? What's the question? Target audience. Uh-huh. Why are you waiting on me? Oh, for my work? No, for the podcast. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm not plugging my side hustle. So I think that's a very good question. Um, because our podcast, I want to say, like our target audience is definitely, you know those who identify as Africans. And I hope that when they listen to our podcast, they feel like they're being represented and um, they can um, relate to a lot of things that we say and they can find some comfort in our podcast because I listen to a lot of podcasts and one of the inspirations for, you know, starting this podcast with Onyeka, Ife, and Amayo is that um, I didn't feel like our voices were represented. So I just hope that other Africans who are listening to our podcast feel represented, um, but also for people who want to learn more about our culture, our experiences, our stories, um, instead of listening to our experiences as told by westernized media and people who know nothing about our culture. Um, and so, yeah, that's the my spiel. Unless... Onyeka, you have something to add to that? No, that was nicely done. Snaps for you, darling. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Took myself to my happy place and started talking. Um, okay, I think we can jump to the next question. What's your your most recent major achievement, or what's been a significant achievement in your past? Um, yeah, just take this time to brag on yourself a little bit. Come on, somebody blow the trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you want to start. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Honestly, like my, I'm not gonna call like some some award. There, there's there've been a couple of things like that, but really, like the thing that really made me feel like this was the main achievement was when I actually was able to pay for like mm. my own equipment. Mm. That was that was <laughs> like I. I, I couldn't think of any I can't think of any other thing off the top of my head right now because that moment like was a legitimate like yo this is this is like this is real mm. you know it's concrete every other time you're either using somebody else's like stuff or material or you know going somewhere to rent something but you know the moment mm. you actually own your stuff it's a it's a it's a very empowering feeling so wow. yeah the day I got my mic <laughs> Aww. Whoop, whoop. now this is Nana I would say, um, for me, one of my most memorable achievements is one of my first, which was um, working with the principal set designer on an African city. Yeah. Um, which is okay, yes. great. We have some fans. Awesome. Oh, yes, yes, girl. Yes. Girl. yes. <laughs> so. Um, that was a big deal for me because it was my first time, um, doing set design work and Mm. I got to work with, um, some really great people. And the fact that 
I had just, just, just started out and um, uh, the producer and director who is a, you know, childhood friend, you know, basically sent me a WhatsApp and was like, hey, why don't you come? You know, why don't you come and contribute to this project? Um, and let's, you know, see what we can see what you can do. And I think that um, we did a great job, the set design team. And yeah, so and that because it's, it's film and it's documented forever. And my name's in the credits, like, that for me is was awesome. That's amazing. So, yeah. That's amazing. Yay. Yeah, let me say that every time I watch African City, I'm like, I just want, can I, can this be my house? Can, 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 can I just live here? Can I get all of these somehow? I, please. You can. So great job. Oh, <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk after this. <laughs> For real. <laughs> the only thing I didn't like about an African City is that they kept saying Shegun. On set, we knew that we knew that that was a complaint. A lot of Nigerian mm. fan mail came in, like, um, excuse me, I'm gonna send you an audio of how to say this properly. <laughs> <laughs> because even the way it shook me to my core when it eventually hit me that it was Shagun. That it was being pronounced. I almost fell out my chair. (laughs) Almost. What's the question? Recent achievement. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess my most significant achievement was winning the grants. Mm. So um, it was a competition. We were, I don't know how many, then we're shortlisted to 20. And then we're further shortlisted to 10. And then the 10 of us had to do a business plan presentation. And out of those 10, I was chosen as the winner. So that was really significant, not just, you know, winning, but Mm -hmm. also the belief in my business. I mean, I was up against people that were trying to build a greenhouse, two Mm -hmm. people that were investing in biogas, and I'm here just making shoe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I won, wow. you know. So it showed that I have a very viable business on my hands that can grow mm-hmm. and scale and become great. And more importantly, like literally everybody, I had I had a very very massive support system. People mm-hmm. that I didn't know had my back. Had my back. <laughs> like I mm-hmm. called people like very last minute. Even a friend of mine came over and spent the night. My aunt from down the road was in my house at two in the morning. And it just made me realize, like, you know, when people are up there and their thank you list is so long, Mm. there's a reason for that, you know, like everybody and their uncle helped me on this project. So Mm. that was really impressive to see the amount of people that supported me. Mm. And, um, doing having to put together my business plan as well also was very i i had a very um eye-opening experience because all the while you know i'd been doing the business for about 10 months and i purposely did not do a business plan because i didn't want something i i didn't want to have a reason to procrastinate so be doing a business plan is very very tasking and it's something that could take like a month or two so i'm like i'm not going to waste time diddy dallying with this thing Mm -hmm. i have a 
concept of a business plan in my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead and start because if I delay, then only God knows when I'd start. So mm-hmm. it wasn't until I had put pen to paper, I had looked at all the numbers for the business, and then I had seen how far I had come and how far the business had come because this making shoes for people that fit well is a passion for my, of mine. Like I'm not just out to just sell shoes. Like because of my problem, I want you to be able to wear these shoes and be happy. Like, wow, it's a perfect fit and it's so comfortable and in love. Like that's the feeling I want to get from everybody that buys my shoes. So that was my driving force and not necessarily money. But when I looked at my balance sheet. I'm like, girl. (laughs) (laughs) So it made me realize that this is not just a passion. It's a very, very viable business. So that was a very Mm -hmm. eye-opening and significant achievement in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tim Som, I just stalked um, Nsata on Instagram. And it actually seems to me that you are the auntie who's giving out two million. So um, NYAC <laughs> is going to be uh, Look at all that wash. Jesus. We're, uh, <laughs> we're gonna be on your case. NYC. <laughs> Did you say NYC? NYAC the podcast. Oh, 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 okay. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, let's move to the last final, final question. Um, what's your favorite thing about what's your favorite thing about African culture that I think we kind of answered that already. You did. Am I we we yeah. are in a great place to wrap up? Yeah. <laughs> so okay, can I just ask, can I just ask why do you choose to stay here if it is a choice? Because I know some of us are here against our will. <laughs> Am I uh, speak for yourself? <laughs> okay, so let me let me quickly get into this. I mean, right now in the country and even the continent, we're all about made in Nigeria, made in Africa. Hmm. So if I went somewhere else and produced, I'm I can't I can't keep touting I'm made in Nigeria. Hmm. And I'm not just doing that just for the I don't know, Efizi or Swab or whatever. I'm also mm. doing it to boost my economy as well and help my continent. So mm. that's one reason why I'm here. And I like, I like, like I said, I, I like the African culture and influence that I, I direct into my products as well. I mean, I guess it's quite possible for me to do all these things if I'm living abroad, but it would be a lot, a lot harder. I mean, how can I micromanage my reliable artisans <laughs> when I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's why I stay here. I just I feel there's a lot to learn here. You know? There's a lot there's a lot that is very undiscovered, very unexplored in not not in like a conquistador type of weird ass way. Like I mean like a serious you we, we don't we don't really understand the we don't really understand how much power and how much potential that we have. It's just some small little random things. Like I like, for instance, I like, I like cooking a lot as well. And I'm talking with um, uh, my sister about little things like how, how, how much more profitable like Zobo is as a thing in this country that it could like, it could really take off. Mm. Like it could be our thing international. Mm. 
Like yeah. I'm, I'm. There's just you know all those like little small things. This has nothing to. This has nothing to do with music, but something as simple as like the sorrel, this the hibiscus zobo mm-hmm. leaf. Like there's so many things that we could ways that we could take that thing. It's just something as small that we have. We have so many little small things, and I just feel like we we need to go back and actually learn a lot more about them to really, really cement our place in 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 the coming years because. You know, everything is the Western world is crumbling. Yeah. So, sorry to say to anybody who is, you know, still a strong part of that. But at the same time, even though we love it, I mean, I I love the Western world as much as the next guy, but it is crumbling. And this is this is probably the citadel. This continent is the citadel at the end of at the end of that destruction. I feel that sounded so dark, but no. Yeah. Is it just me, or or does like moving back here like make everybody want to become an entrepreneur? Mm. Like everybody is so. doing some hustle or the other. So. I don't know if it's just like <laughs> yeah, like mm. all all pun intended. The soil is really fertile down this way. Like <laughs> it's like it just brings yes. out that entrepreneurship <laughs> trait in you that you never pow, even pow. existed. <laughs> no, it's so true. I when when all your friends are doing stuff, you're like, okay, me too. I me too. I want to partake. <laughs> <laughs> Positive peer pressure. <laughs> That's true. All right. Yes. If we're done answering, Idril, mm. your spotlight. Yeah. Yes. Oh lord. Feel free to send um, us out. Jeez. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, if I die today, look, my legacy is straight. I'm the best they never heard. My insanity in game. Barely any hook. Call it out, then tat it on your face. Show me so I know it's real. Is you fan or is you fake? Do you ride for a nigga? Is it one foot on the brakes? If you fam, you can't relate. Where's your manners? Grab a plate. Get some salad, then a steak. Take a hit out the chalice. If it's malice, if it's hate, take your problems, stay away. With my mans, we celebrate and eat with hands and tip the weight. A couple bands, a bundle paper. Yes, we feeling good today. I ain't got no time to waste. And my house is out the way. And she's naked on the couch. That's that voulez-vous coucher. Screaming, I ain't got time for your bullshit. My granny doing overtime at the pulpit. And I ain't really got to shine like the cool kids. But I'm a wizard on that eyes. I got two zips for you. Wake up. Okay. That was dope. Okay, so you're performing at my next event. (laughs) Oh, shit. Hey, link up. Link up. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) You heard it here first. We have have a vocal, uh, what's it called? Oh, performance! <laughs> Vocal performer, yes. Yes. Um, are we really? This is like our show. <laughs> How are we doing? You got to though. You have to. I have to. Um. I have to okay. Let's see what what to do. What to do? Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, there is this song that I just heard. Um, by. What's her name? Waja, which I really like. It's new. It's called Climb or Mountain, something like that. Mm-hmm. Do I know the lyrics? Let's see. Let's see. Let's, let's see how this goes. <laughs> um, when you hear the sound, you gotta sing along. 
something, something. Don't remember the lyrics, y'all. Wow. Okay, so now I have two performers at my next event. I'll be trying to. Yo, do you record? <laughs> so let's. Hey, talk. sorry, real quick. It's do you okay. Record? It's okay. I paint shoes. Do I what? Do you record? record? Like. Um, no, just for fun. Mm-hmm. Could, could you, like, for I'm fun, sorry. one of my songs? Like... <laughs> Make those hey. connections. Make those. NYAC. Bringing people together. So, you know Too that much. list of acknowledgements uh, that Chimson was talking about? Just mention NYAC. <laughs> when this blues. Grammy nomination. <laughs> Grammy win. <laughs> NYAC. I love that. Too much. Too much. Thank you guys so much for this I conversation. Know, this Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been yeah. fun. Good. Thank you for joining us in our conversation. Thank you for performing. Thanks for your inputs, your insights. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Oh, one thing. Can can you guys go around and just tell people how they can contact you? Okay, so I'm Nsata on Instagram. N-S-A-A-T-A. And the contact details are also on the Instagram page. The website will be coming really soon. So watch out. Um, Blueprint in Africa is on all social media under that name. So Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, basically everywhere. Blog loving, everything. So check us out. Nice, yeah. I'm on Twitter. Um, barely any hook. My name right now is Extra Crispy Fries, but we'll, we'll probably change that in a little bit. But yeah, you can find me as barely any hook. Do you spell the extra with the E I'm, or without the E? Important. No, with an E. No, no. Please, we we'll promote good grammar around here. Extra Crispy Fries, and on uh, SoundCloud is that guy barely any hook. So. Yeah. <laughs>